Greetings one and all, and welcome to the official kickoff of the Arantian Mystic Podcast. After all of the votes came in, this was uh, the favored podcast and the favored title that most listeners wanted to hear more of. Although it was uh, a pretty close and tight race there for a while, but in the end, the Arantian Mystic did prevail. But most people who listened to the show said they would like to continue to hear topics like the one I, I covered in Angels of Urantia with Dr. Stephen Greer and the CE5 program and uh, things of that nature. I also had a couple of newcomers to the show who listened as far back as the Spirit Side podcast, and they wanted to hear more of the social issues with the, or rather from the, spiritual perspective. And so those all are topics that can fit under the umbrella of mysticism and the inner life, how we could or should respond to certain social issues or even big political issues that are uh, very much on everybody's map and radar right now in the United States and across the world. How do we respond to some of these things when it comes to the inner life, that connection we have with God? So all of these things really uh, can fit under this particular topic of the inner life and mysticism. So I will certainly do my utmost best to bring these topics to you, the listener, in a way that is respectful, informative, balanced, and of course, interesting. I want to thank all of you who took the time to email and write in and cast your vote and share your opinions on the podcast. It is greatly appreciated. And so without further delay, Let's get right into our official start of the Arantian Mystic. And I thought uh, it would be a good idea in our starter show to talk about mysticism, fanaticism, and religious fundamentalism. This might sound like um, a little bit of a boring, perhaps subject for some listeners, but I would ask you to tune in and listen and, and bear with me because this is, uh, I feel, a very interesting topic. And when it comes to spirituality, to mysticism, to prayer, to spiritual ecstasy when people are in meditation or prayer, we have a lot of misconceptions about what that is, and we have a lot of really strange practices that have grown out of religious movements over time. And they become very normalized in our churches, in our mainstream Christian thought. And I'm hoping this particular podcast will shine some light on all of these things and bring uh, a little bit of that maturity and balance uh, 
and level-headedness to this particular subject. So what is mysticism? We'll begin to define this by reading from the Arantia book in paper 91, section 7, verse 1. And it states, Mysticism as the technique of the cultivation of the consciousness of the presence of God is altogether praiseworthy. But when such practices lead to social isolation and culminate in religious fanaticism, they are all but reprehensible. Let me read that again. That is from paper 91, section 7, verse 1 in the Arantia book. It reads, Mysticism is the technique of the cultivation of the consciousness of the presence of God is altogether praiseworthy, but when such practices lead to social isolation and culminate in religious fanaticism, they are all but reprehensible. This is a very powerful and very true statement coming right out of the gate when it comes to the subject of mysticism in the Arantia book because we have so many misconceptions of what it is. First and foremost, mysticism is, just as the Arantia book describes, it is the technique of the cultivation of the consciousness of the presence of God, or what many in the past and even present day call practicing the presence of God. It is focusing and meditating on the presence of God within you and being aware of the presence of God around you, no matter where you go, in nature, in doing your everyday work, house cleaning. You're always present or giving yourself little reminders throughout the day of the presence of God that is within you and around you at all times. Mysticism always seeks to have this continual connection with God because God is known as the Beloved. He is the most desired thing within the human soul, within the human heart. The practice of true mysticism sees the presence of God and connection and communion with that presence of God, that spirit of God, more important than any other thing in this world. It takes precedence over money, position, all of the material things that we could acquire in this life. The practice of the presence of God or becoming conscious of the presence of God is an everyday practice. And people practice it through ways of meditation. We talked about that before, going into the silence. It can be done through prayer or just by acknowledging that the presence of God is always with us. 
as the mystics and metaphysicians of old would say, wherever we are, God is. So mysticism is not some strange New Age practice of doing rituals and incantations and meditating on crystals or, you know, anything of that nature. Mysticism has been painted with a broad brush in our modern society and and we've lost track of what it really is. And what it really is is just that, the practice of the presence of God in our lives. It seeks connection with the Spirit of God within and without. But the Arantia book warns us that this cultivation, this technique of cultivating the consciousness of the presence of God is altogether praiseworthy. But when such practices lead to social isolation and culminate in religious fanaticism, they are all but reprehensible. Now when it comes to practicing the presence of God, I can speak from experience that once we start making that connection, once we become more aware of that divine presence that's within us and around us when we commune with God on a daily basis, it really does become difficult sometimes to put ourselves back out there in society, you know, the, the world at large, as, as they say. We tend not to want to get involved in all of the drama and the nonsense and the fighting and the politics and the troubles that society are, is so perseverated on because those things begin to look very small in our perception. We're, we're, we're not as worried about these things as we once were because our consciousness, our soul is expanding, our view of life is expanding. We're growing, we're changing, we're growing in God. And so it's like being a teenager or in your early 20s and sometimes being invited back to play in the sandbox with the little children. It might be fun for a little while, but it's not how we want to spend every day of our lives. We don't want to be in the sand and the dirt of society, if you will, all the time. But we have to be careful that we don't become reclusive. Because there is a danger in that. Staying too much by ourselves, having not another person around, you know, this can start to lead to fanaticism. I myself, as a mystic, I don't... I don't get in the sandbox of life or society very often. I am quite happy being by myself, studying, reading, meditating, 
focusing on that presence of God. But I, I, I still am a part of society because I offer my services to humanity. I do this podcast to try and help people. So through my spiritual counseling, through seeing family members and friends, you know, now and then, uh, doing the podcast, having guests on the show, talking to various people, you know, I'm still connecting with others. I'm still doing something that's meaningful with my life. So I'm not as they would say, barricaded, you know, in my house, staying away from everybody indefinitely. And we're going to read a little bit later on in the Urantia book where uh, it talks about that service to humanity being of utmost importance because that helps us grow as well. That helps us connect more with that spirit of God within us and around us being of service to our fellow man and woman. I would say that we could take a lesson from some of the monastics from ages gone by in, and even today. There are many who go into the monastery. They become monks. They become nuns. They, they want that life of contemplation of God, just being in prayer their whole life dedicated to communing with the Divine Spirit. But many monastics also have the social outreach. They give to the poor. They feed the hungry. Many of the monks back in the day, and even nuns, they would go into the nearby villages. They would help the poor. They would preach to the poor and the needy. They would try to help. They would bring a message of God or God's mercy to those in the nearby villages. So they still have their their service to humanity. They're in the cloister, they're in the monastery, but they're still stepping outside of those walls from time to time in service to man as a service to God. And that's important. We never want to become the recluse who's staying in our room all the time, just playing video games, you know, smoking the weed, <laughs> and, you know, reading the Bible or the Urantia book and meditating and saying, wow, you know, that was mind-blowing or that, you know, that type of thing. That That's really not mysticism. And, uh, you know, I say smoking weed, you know, uh, humorously, I, I don't encourage anybody to use any kind of drugs or hallucinogenics when it comes to mysticism or connecting uh, with that presence of God. Uh, this kind of thing can only lead to a lot of trouble and a lot of self-delusion, so we don't want to ingest things into our body that alter our consciousness, alter our perception of reality, and then try to connect with the Spirit of God. That's just something that's not going to work very well at all. But let's talk about the second problem when it says, 
that mysticism is altogether praiseworthy, but when such practices lead to social isolation and culminate in religious fanaticism, they are all but reprehensible. Now, fanaticism, religious fanaticism in mysticism, is a very big problem that we have in this day and age. And it's, it's been a problem for quite a while, especially in the Protestant denominations. Because these are individuals who will generally frown on mysticism and call it a New Age practice or satanic and that a true Christian should not engage in uh, mysticism. But being unaware of Christian history, they, they don't realize that mysticism was something that many of the Christians, many of the great saints of old, engaged in as early as the 1st and 2nd century. Contemplative prayer, meditation, praying the rosary, a form of prayer, and meditation. There are many Christian saints, canonized saints, who were monastics, who were visionaries and mystics, and these individuals were, uh, it is documented, you know, that the miracles that were done by their hands, the, the state of mind that they were in, the visions that they had, the little prophetic utterances that they had that, that would come to pass. I mean, these were real visionaries. These were real mystics. These were people who dedicated their life to that communion, that practice of the presence of God. And the fruit that they bore is just so far beyond what we can comprehend here in the modern world. That it, it just seems like it's an unreality to us. And we don't understand or even know about these individuals because they've just been written out of many religious denominations. Written out, forgotten, and misunderstood to such a degree that most modern Protestant Christians don't even understand or know what mysticism is. And so when they hear the word mysticism, they think of New Age practices, casting spells, magic rituals, having a seance, communing with familiar spirits or demons, and going into strange altered states of consciousness and dancing and laying on fire and chewing on glass like some of the voodoo practitioners. So they really have no idea what Christian mysticism was and is. Yet they have their own brand of it that many of them will call being slain in the spirit. Getting up in the middle of church, talking in tongues, dancing, yelling, screaming, running up and down the aisles, collapsing on the floor, kicking and laughing or convulsing. Now this kind of thing is more akin to New Ageism and Voodooism than actual Christian mysticism. I saw a video clip on YouTube of a very popular Christian church run by a man who is said to be 
a prophet where they were actually playing the African drums and there was a woman dancing on the stage and she starts yelling and convulsing and shouting out very strange and bizarre things to the congregation and they started dancing and collapsing and writhing in the aisles. Now, again, this is more akin to voodooism and new ageism and fanaticism than real mysticism, which isn't connected to any of those things at all. So we have to be very careful when we walk into churches or religious groups and we see this kind of thing going on because this is really people having an overly emotional reaction to something that is happening in their environment. So the religious stimuli, the person on stage dancing to the voodoo or the African drums, the person on stage shouting in tongues, the person on stage with the music playing, shouting, the Holy Spirit is here. He's, he's, he's going to heal us all. He's going to slay us all in the Spirit. Let us all engage in a holy laughter. You know, the music playing, people jumping around. People can get very excited and have this emotional response to what's going on around them. And it's not spiritual at all. So we have to be very careful of that type of thing because it is something that is far removed from real mysticism and it certainly uh, gives into the reprehensible act, as the Arantia book calls it, of fanaticism. And now we also have to be aware and careful of people who say they have mystic experiences that are very strange. And I've seen a lot of people, and, I, and I've used this example in one of my old shows. I don't remember if it was the spirit side or one of the other shows where someone says, well, I was a new ager and I got saved. I became born again. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I went outside and I was praying in my backyard and suddenly Jesus came down from the heavens and he showed me in a vision that we are being invaded by reptilians through our, and, and, and this is a true story by the way that, that somebody said, we are being invaded by reptilians who look like human beings in our society and in our government. And he commissioned me to fight these serpent demons with a sword of fire that he gave me in the spirit. And I began to dismember them and cut them to pieces with this sword as they descended from the heavens and tried to attack me and take the shape of other mortal men. This individual also said that then Jesus showed him that all of the New Age books or little statues or things that he had in his house were all inhabited by demons. And he became afraid. Should he go in his house? The place was infested with demons. And he sat there till dawn, till he finally went inside 
gathered all these things in the backyard and burned them in a bonfire. So friends, anytime we hear anything like this, as we hear so many of these people saying, well, Jesus caught me up to the third heaven and this is what he showed me. You know, Jesus took me out of my body and gave me a tour of hell. Uh, there's books out by a very uh, popular author. Uh, there's the divine revelation of hell, the divine revelation of heaven. Um, and I read some of these books and they were absolutely, this was back in my, my, um, my evangelical days. And even then reading them, my, my, my very heart and soul just recoiled because I could feel the falseness and, you know, just the dishonesty in these words, painting such a picture of God and of Christ in these books that so many people were devouring. It, it was a very frightening and heartbreaking experience to read some of these books. And so we have to be careful of these types of things. These are these are modern takes on Christian mysticism and um, Christian visionary experiences that many mystics would have. And it's not impossible that these things could happen, that someone could have an angelic visitation, a visitation from Jesus himself, or be shown... Uh, some special thing, but when it gets to be so fanatical where there's the sword of fire and the spirit books and statues inhabited by demons, Jesus giving people tours of hell and showing him the tormented Christians that are in hell. And oh my gosh, Lord, they, they, they were believers, but there they are in hell moaning and crying and suffering and it was the littlest thing like, yes, this man over here uh, got up in the the morning, got up in the morning every day, looked in the mirror and thought, you know, how handsome he was or, you know, uh, whatever the case may be. Very small, strange uh, things, you know, mistakes that people made that landed them in hell. Things like this we, we really have to be wary of. Because the mystics of old and the visionaries of old did not jump around and yell and scream, falling on the floor, writhing and kicking. They didn't uh, tell, you know, strange, outlandish stories. Now, some, some of them had stories that, yes, I think we need to go back and re-examine whether these were real visions or whether these were pictures produced within their own mind that seemed real based on their own devotion to their religion. So I'm not saying that every saint of old was perfect. I've read some accounts where there were visions of hell and purgatory and things of this nature that I had to step back and say, hey, you know, this person was obviously uh, 
a very gifted mystic, and, and there were certain even miracles attributed to them. But some of these visions uh, I'm not so sure of. But at least it wasn't telling people that they had to go out and, you know, uh, slay everybody in a certain political party because they were all reptilians or some such thing. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful when it comes to the fanatic visionaries and mystics of our day. So I would like to uh, also read, this was from verse 3 of paper 91, section 7 in the Arantia book which goes along with, with what we're kind of talking about here. It says, Genuine spiritual ecstasy is usually associated with great outward calmness and almost perfect emotional control. And that is true of the mystics of old. Even if they were in ecstasy and people were touching the whites of their eyes or pricking them with pins and they seem not to feel, uh, you know, the sensation. The genuine spiritual ecstasy was associated with great outward calmness and almost perfect emotional control. Again, they weren't yelling and screaming and laughing and running and collapsing on the floor or, you know, having these strange... Um, outward uh, emotional experiences that many who say they're slain in the spirit have. It goes on to say, but true prophetic vision is a super psychological presentment. Such visitations are not pseudo hallucinations. Neither are they trance like ecstasies. So we have to be careful when it comes to prophecies and visitations. These things can happen. But generally, if they're happening when someone is in a trance-like state, we really have to set them down. We really have to examine what's being said, what the prophecy is, what the vision is, what the visitation is or said to be, and really examine, does this, does this correspond to truth? Or is this something that is spinning off of truth, off into some strange area that perhaps we've never heard before? It sounds strange, it sounds maybe a bit scary, frightening, unnerving, There's or contradicting even to the Bible or things that we might read in the Arantia book. So we, we have to be careful and we do have to examine these things. Not everyone who goes into a trance is giving an accurate or honest vision or visitation from a celestial being. 
And that's something that, uh, again, especially here in the United States, and I'm, I'm sure other parts of the world as well, we see someone who's in a trance. Well, they obviously must be having a true experience. Well, that's not necessarily true. We have to get beyond that superstition. I myself, as a certified hypnotherapist and hypnotist, I'm very well aware that I could hypnotize somebody and start leading them into this idea when you were at the beach in 1997, something came out of the water. What was it? What did he look like? Well, he was a man. He had yellow eyes. He had green hair. And I could say, well, where did he take you? Well, he took me into the ocean deep down. He showed me Atlantis deep down in the crevices in the bottom of the ocean. Well, what did it look like? And the person will come back out of hypnosis and say, oh my gosh, this really happened. It was a suppressed memory. But actually, no, it was a fantasy induced by me, the hypnotist, while the person was in a suggestive state. And as much as any hypnotherapist or hypnotist can do that to an individual under hypnosis, we can also do it to ourselves. So if we induce some kind of trance thinking that Jesus is going to visit us or an angel is going to visit us or we're going to get a tour of hell or whatever the case may be, we can self-induce those reveries in our own minds and they're not real spiritual visions. So anybody who's in a trance isn't necessarily giving you true spiritual visions and information from the mysterious world of spirit. We have to be aware of that and we have to examine these things closely. I'd like to encourage all of you who are more interested in mysticism, especially when it comes to mysticism as talked about in the Arantia book, to go and read paper 91 in its entirety. It is called Mysticism, Ecstasy, and Inspiration, paper 91, section 7, and uh, beginning in verse 1, it talks about all of the pros and cons of mysticism, ecstasy, and inspiration. What is real and what is likely not to be real. And uh, what the main goal of mysticism really is, that practice of the presence of God. And so there's a lot of information in these uh, 13 verses that really cover a lot of ground for us to contemplate and think about. I really do think that, that paper 91, section 7 in the Arantia book is a good template for anybody who is walking the mystical path or interested in the practice of mysticism. 
because we can look at the experiences of the past. We can look at the saints and the visionaries of old. We can look at what's going on around us today. We can read accounts in the Bible. And, you know, we can read uh, this section of the Arantia book to really help keep us anchored in what is true and what is not so that we don't spiral off into, you know, isolationism or fanaticism. It will help us to maintain balance on the mystical path and in our mystical practices. And balance is something that is sorely needed in the world today when it comes to religion, when it comes to mysticism, when it comes to visionary experiences, experiences people have in meditation, even in those practices that many call uh, transmediumship or mediumship, communing with spirits on the other side. We need some kind of anchor that brings us back to spiritual reality and balance. Now, I'm not saying that all of those things are fake. I believe that any of us could receive a message from an angel, a celestial being, perhaps even one of our deceased relatives. I've had experiences with relatives that have uh, been long past. I felt their presence. I've heard their voice. I've seen things and heard things. Now, whether God allows now and then for our loved ones just to come and say hello, uh, whether that's an angel bringing us a message from them when we're thinking about them, uh, none of us here on earth really knows how all of that works. And I think that's for a good reason. Because God doesn't want us being dependent on the spirits of the other side, the celestials, the angels. Although those things may be there to be a help and a guide and a support system when we need it, but there's no spirit that is there to lead our lives for us. We have to walk this journey. We have to make these choices. We have to make the choice for God. And so again, we need an anchor in our lives. We need something that's going to help balance us in our spiritual and mystical practice, that we don't get off into f fanaticism, that we don't get misled or sucked into someone else's uh, spiritual delusion. Because that can happen as well, and that's a very dangerous place to be in. This is how people get um, kind of dragged into cults, believing that this group, this leader, has some special ability, some special uh, connection or pipeline to God or to Christ or to the heavens that no one else has. So all of these things are really perversions of true mysticism. And that's why I made this podcast, and there's a lot more to be said on this subject that I will cover and I will talk about in, in future shows, but we have to be on our guard. We have to have spiritual sensibilities. We have to have balance. Uh, 
and I think reading paper 97 or rather paper 91 uh, section 7 in the Arantia book is a good place to start it's very balancing it's something that can help us all stay on track so I thank you so much for listening I hope you got something out of this show this week again I appreciate all of you who voted I appreciate all of you who listen. Until next time, walk in love, stay in the light, and I'll talk to you next time here on The Arantian Mystic. God bless everybody.